from the HPP studio. You're listening to the 95th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HPP. I'm Dorian, and on today's podcast, we celebrate a late Oktoberfest, dance to 1980s freestyle in Elite Championship Series, and special guest Jen Bohr, who's a beer label graphic designer and the founder of Hoot Design Studio, joins us to talk about beer and creativity. And what a segue, because as you know, my friends, I have a delicious cold beer in my left hand. It is a Camp Toberfest, which is actually a Martin style lager from a good American local brewery called Werdaka. Werdaka? Werdaka Brewing Company in Laytonsville, Maryland. And please indulge me for a few seconds as I take a drink. Because as you can imagine, I've been drinking before I started recording. Nevertheless, much like the San Diego Padres and New York Yankees season, Oktoberfest is already over. Too soon, Yankees fan? Too soon, Padres fan? It's okay. Look, I actually forget about the Yankees and the Padres for the moment. I never understood why Oktoberfest is named after a month in which it's not even actually celebrated. Because Oktoberfest is that famous annual festival of, I don't know, beer and lederhosen's in Munich, Germany, it's held over two weeks, but it ends on the first, the very first Sunday of October. Why, why not call it September Fest? I don't know how to say September in German, but you know what I mean. And I'm going to have another drink. And did you know that the Oktoberfest celebrated in September actually started back on the 12th of October, 1810. That's over 200 years ago. It was Oktoberfest started for the celebration of the marriage between the Crown Prince of Bavaria. It's like very Disney right now. King Louis I to his betrothed love person, woman, whatever. Princess Therese von Sachsen-Hildburghausen. I'm sure her face was a lot prettier than it was me trying to pronounce her last name. (laughs) So next time you're at a wedding trying to catch the bouquet, remember... That about 200 years ago, some drunk, drunk Royal Germans were probably doing the same thing. But I'm going to tell you that 200 years ago, drunk Royal Germans, drunk German Royals were not on social media, but we are. Our Twitter account handle is at HPP4040 and our Instagram account is Hipster Baseball Podcast. Give us a follow or if you're anti-marriage, avoid the bouquet and don't follow us. No big deal. I want to talk about what just happened in the National League Championship Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres. What an absolutely bonkers series that was. Even though the Phillies won the series four games to one, that was that series had everything. You like home runs, you get home runs. She gets home runs, he gets home runs. You like pitching, we have some of the best starting pitchers in this series. You like a lot of runs. You like a lot of drama. You like the crowd going crazy. We got you. You know what needs to be done? Major League Baseball and the commissioner, Rob Manford, they need to somehow package this series, the very essence of this 2022 National League series between the Phillies and the Padres, and just blast that over social media, blast it into all over the world. Because you're like, If you ever talk to someone about baseball, they're like, oh, well, 
uh, baseball is okay. Like it, I think it's too slow and it's too boring. This is your answer. The 2022 National League Championship Series is the answer. Holy schmoly was that series so much fun. It was back and forth. And as usual, the Philadelphia Phillies always manage to get ahead. They're always scoring two, three runs early in the game. But before we get to that, like I said, I loved the crowd in San Diego and Philadelphia. You know, both the city of San Diego, the fans in San Diego, and the fans in Philadelphia, sports fans, they just get a bad rap. For example, you think of San Diegans, man, they only smoke weed, they eat tasty tacos, and they surf. And what about Philly from Philly? What about people from Philadelphia? Man, the people in Philadelphia are a bunch of barbarians. They only get into fights and then get into more fights. <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe not all stereotypes are wrong. <laughs> Nevertheless, before we start getting hate mail here at HBP, I'm going to have a drink. I love that there was some brotherly love between the one of the Padres' best pitchers. I mean, excuse me, one of the Phillies' best pitchers, Aaron Nola who was playing against his brother, the Padres catcher, Austin Nola. How awesome is that? They were showing his parents in the stand in San Diego. His dad, I think, was wearing a Phillies hat and a Padres jersey. And whenever any one of the, any one of the two kids did something well against each other, he was just like stoic and not doing anything. I'm like, okay, dude, you're not a robot. Like, show some emotion. Yeah, it sucks that one of your sons is not doing well, the other one's doing better. But that's just amazing that this family produced two good, really good Major League Baseball players. And just do a quick recap, because I'm sure you watched every single pitch of the National League Championship Series. By the way, the Phillies defense continues to be pure caca. They almost gave away game one on an ugly error, which would have which would have been a double play and a potentially game-ending double play. They had an error as usual, and they almost... And they did give the Padres another chance to seal the game. The Padres couldn't do it. But the fact is, you can't keep doing this to yourself. I cannot stand the Philadelphia Phillies defense. It's the worst defense left in the playoffs, in the in the championship series round, whatever you want to call it. And you know what? The New York Yankees aren't that far behind. But we're going to get to the Yankees in a, in a minute. I love that in game two in San Diego, the Padres fans kept chanting, Ha Song Kim! Ha Song Kim! Ha Song Kim! Ha Song Kim is the Padres short, shortstop. And can you imagine they were, they were yelling, the whole, the whole stadium was rocking to Ha Song Kim at the bot, in the bottom of the fifth inning. Can you imagine 40,000 people shouting your name as you take the trash out, as you do your work, as you send an email? As you lead a team, as you lead a meeting. <laughs> what a feel. I can't imagine that. That's amazing. But like I said earlier, the Phillies just kept scoring in bunches. Every, it seems like every game they were like, oh, the Phillies are up 2 nothing. The Phillies are up 3 nothing." And the Phillies did the same thing in the previous round against, this is the last week I'm able, I'm able to say this, the defending World Series champions Atlanta Braves. The Phillies kept scoring loads of runs early in the National League Division Series against the Braves, and they did the same thing against the Padres in the Championship Series. But the difference between the Padres and the Braves were the Padres kept responding, and they responded immediately. The Phillies would go up three runs. The Padres would come back with home runs. 
every single time they would answer. But ultimately, the Padres ran out of answers. And so that's why the, the Phillies kept scoring 10 runs, 8 runs, 6 runs. They just scored too many runs for the Padres to keep answering. And I also I want to give a shout out as well as, by the way, how good was the Padres pitcher, you Darvish, in the all the playoffs? He was been awesome. You Darvish is 36 years old. And I think that he was one of the best pitchers in his postseason, regardless of the league, regardless of the team. He started four games. He had a 2.88 ERA in the playoffs. These are the best of the best teams that you're playing. Had 23 strikeouts in 25 innings. And by the way, with the new National League champions, Philadelphia Phillies, what in the world is is their first baseman, Reese Hoskins, eating? The guys had five home runs in the playoffs, but speaking of that ugly defense, Reese Hoskins is one of those reasons why they play such terrible defense. Like, dude, you're a first baseman, and you've, I think off the top of my head, Reese Hoskins committed, has committed three errors already in this postseason. Three. And I think he, and he, and he was responsible for two errors against the Padres alone. I'm like, this cannot, this is not sustainable championship baseball. I don't care if your sport is football. You can't be having turnovers all the time. It, I don't care if your sport is basketball. You can't be turning the ball over in basketball. In baseball, you cannot continuously have errors every single game, every single night, especially when you're playing against the best of the best. And here's the thing that I didn't like that Major League Baseball did for the, for the ultimately what was the clinching game five in Philadelphia. It was basically played in a downpour. Look, I love baseball, but I love baseball so much that I know it's warts. It's just like having a relationship with your family, with your significant your significant other. You're like, I love you. Now change. <laughs> baseball has to be played in a climate-controlled ambiance. It's like basketball. It's like ice hockey. So I'm tired of having rainouts and rain delays in baseball. Why can't we just say, owners, look, we this is gonna this is waste of money. This is costing us time travel for time and the players health having to having them to stay in a certain night uh, what was it back in the American League Division Series this happened when one of the games against in New York one of the games between the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Guardians was rained out and the Guardians didn't expect to stay an extra night in New York they were flying back to Cleveland and the Guardians they had it was not it's not the Guardians fault but they didn't even envision the game being rained out and they didn't have hotel accommodations for the the players and at the last minute they had to stay at some random hotel like in Bronxville I think it was I think it was in Bronxville like you know 20 30 minutes north of Yankee Stadium why can't we just say owners by the year let's say 2030 everyone has to have some sort of covering I don't I don't care if you're a tourist park in Atlanta, I don't care if you're some historic ballpark like Fenway Park in Boston or Dodger Stadium in L.A. Well, honestly, in L.A. it never rains. But you get my point. Chicago, like with snow and all that stuff, enough of that nonsense. Cover. I don't care how you do it. At least put a like an umbrella and be aesthetically pleasing. Hire the best architects in your city to see what you can do to enclose the field from actual snow and rain. So here we go in game five, National League Championship Series, played in a downpour. They did not, in a normal regular season, that game would have been halted for about two hours. But because there's no 
travel dates now in the national in the cha- in both of the championship series, they could not gamble with having to replay the next day, the next at eight a.m. the next morning. Why are we doing this, and why are we putting player safety at risk? For example, the Phillies pitcher, the pitcher Phillies relief pitcher, Sir Anthony Dominguez, he threw one. No, he threw two. No, but wait, he threw three wild pitches in the top of the seventh inning, and they were dangerous. They were way. I mean, it was up by the head of the of the one of the Padres batters. That's just that's just unacceptable. But you know what? Major League Baseball will say, look, we can't help it. The season started late. We don't want the World Series to be played on Thanksgiving. Blah, 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 blah. You know what? Rob Manfred, Commissioner of Baseball, and everyone else who defends the Major League Baseball New York office, whose fault was it that the regular season started so late? The owners. It was Major League Baseball's fault, not the players. But then they have to put their health on the line for nonsense like this. But to end on a good part and to end on another you know, nice little delicious drink from this Mars and style lager. Congratulations to the ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous Philadelphia Phillies being the National League Championship Series winners. Speaking of bonkers, did anyone watch the snooze fest that was the American League Championship Series between the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I'm joking. I did watch. All of the four-game sweep when the Astros mercifully ended and put the Yankees to sleep and their season's over. The way I see it is the American League Championship Series was the frozen pizza compared to the oven brick pizza of the National League Championship Series. Because <laughs> that was a heck of a ride. The American League, the ALCS, meh. Look, the Astros had their stud pitchers, Justin Verlander and... Framber Valdez pitching on not five days rest, not six days rest, on seven days rest. What exactly do you think was going to happen? That they were going to lose? <laughs> no. And they didn't. They won both of, they won Verlando's, they won Verlander's start and they won Valdez's start. And you know what? What is up with the Yankees defense? Like I said, if, if it hadn't been for that Phillies defense, the Yankees' defense has been atrocious. Quick example, for all the good things that the New York Yankees center fielder Harrison Bader did with his bat and his glove, in Game 3, he drops a ball right behind uh, Aaron Judge. And then you know what? He makes a mistake. No big deal. I mean, well, it is a big deal. It is deep, deep, deep in the playoffs. Garrett Cole, the Yankees pitcher, looks up at him. He's a, I mean, Harrison Bader's a young kid. You can't be yelling and saying, look, you idiot. Garrett Cole looks at him and says, he mouths to him, I got you. Two pitches later, the Astros hit a home run and they're up to nothing. That ball that Harrison Bader dropped would have ended the inning. Instead, they, they, the inning ends after the Astros hit a home run and they go up to nothing. Every single time, the, the Astros, just like the Phillies as well, the Astros came up with clutch hitting. Even in game four, when, again, the Yankee center fielder, the the young the young man, Harrison Bader, he helped the Yankees out to a 3 nothing lead. In the bottom of the first inning, New York was like, yes, even if we don't win the series, at least we'll, we'll, we'll win here and we'll send Houston back and they'll win, they'll win in front of their own crowds. We don't want them to win here, here in New York. Even when that was happening and the Yankees were up 3 nothing after the, after the first inning, I, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not lying, I knew, I knew 
that the Astros are going to come back and slowly, like a boa constrictor, just start choking away at the New York Yankees. And that's exactly what they did. Astros came back and they ultimately beat them in four in, in game four, six to five in New York with a crowd that was like 50, 40 percent full. It was sad to see. I mean, it was there, there. It was just there was no contest in the American League. There was a couple of games that were close. I mean, yeah, you look at the scores and there was like, oh, you know, the, the Astros won by one run. The Astros won by two runs. But it just it, the games just felt that the that the Astros had more money, many more runs in them than the Yankees could have cobbled together so cheers to the houston astros again two consecutive american league pennants because obviously they won last year and they went to the world series where they lost two maybe this is really the last time i say this the defending world series champions atlanta braves oh my Braves! so so disappointing that we lost so early but hold on because i'm going to drown out my my worries right now but i do want to say always leave things on a light note the new york yankees I don't know. He's a, he's one of their bench players. Oswaldo Cabrera. What? I actually think I looked at him. I looked at him. I actually think I saw Cabrera during the Guardian series. But I know I saw him during the Astros series. The New York Yankees young player, Oswaldo Cabrera, had me do a double take. As if you were like watching Saturday morning cartoons when you were a kid. I was like, who in the heck is this? I immediately, I promise you, I immediately thought back to 1980s New York freestyle music. I was like, Oswaldo Cabrera looks exactly like No Pagan, No Pagan, who in 1987 had a massive freestyle hit called Silent Morning. Pagan, No, N-O-E-L, last name P-A-G-A-N. He's from the Bronx. What's in the Bronx? Yankee Stadium. People, look up No Pagan, No Pagan, and then type Silent Morning. Look it up on YouTube. It's awesome. And then on the next tab, look up Oswaldo Cabrera. O-S-W-A-L-D-O. Last name C-A-B-R-E-R-R-A. I was like, surely Oswaldo is Noel's son because... <laughs> They look exactly like and I and I, and in my mind I was I was listening to I was the the song Silent Morning was playing in my head. I wake up and you're not by my side. Silent morning. Why did your love have to be a lie? All right, the karaoke portion of the podcast is over. I had to indulge myself. I love that song. <laughs> Silent morning. Oswaldo Cabrera Cabrera Cabrera. I don't remember if you did anything. Against the Houston Astros, but I do remember that you made me flash back to Silent Morning by your long-lost uncle. <laughs> no, no pagan. But anyways, moving on. Cheers to the Astros. Yankees, I mean, Yankees have a lot to work to do. They have to, they have to do something about that bullpen. They got to do something about that, that awful, atrocious defense. And obviously that big contract that, that, they, that they have to have to give to Aaron Judge. But who knows if Aaron Judge is going to actually sign with them again. But that's for another episode the world series philadelphia phillies houston astros look the astros in this postseason they're undefeated they're seven and oh and they have a run differential of 13 which is really small i mean the astros are basically winning every game by a couple of runs every single most games are close but they just doesn't feel close and the philadelphia phillies in this world in this world series in this postseason 
They're 9-2. and two. They have nine wins. They've only lost twice. And they have a run differential of 25. And so they're basically winning their games by at least, more, almost three runs a game. And yes, the, the Phillies have lost twice. And so that brings down their run differential. But the Phillies wins, a lot of them have just been straight up blowouts. And I don't like that Jose Altuve, he continues the the Houston Astros second baseman, Jose Altuve. He's been struggling all postseason. He has a grand total of three hits in those seven games. He's walked three times. But on the flip side, all of Altuve's three hits have come in the last two games against the Yankees. So he may be heating up and he may be waiting for something big to hit the Phillies with. And I have absolutely no idea what the Phillies are doing, what kind of crazy ritual they're doing in their in the locker room because they always seem to hit a home run when it, when when they need one. Other teams in playoffs, they want to hit a home run in crucial moments. The Phillies actually hit home runs exactly when they need them and you're like, this is there's some there's some weird vibes coming out of Phillies out of the out of out of Phil, out of the Phillies out of Philadelphia. I have no idea what it is. I, it was spoken about during the divisional series against the defending World Series. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> against when they when the Phillies played and beat the Braves in the National League Division Series, there was talk about oh maybe this Phillies team is kind of like the Braves team that they did that the Phillies just like the Braves in 2021 they didn't have the best regular season. But everything's coming together. All the stars are aligning and the stars are hitting and the pitching is solid. But you know what? That 2021 Braves, they had an awesome, awesome defense. Like I said, this Phillies defense is atrocious. And it, I, for me, it, not to take too much away from the Phillies, but it's kind of a shame that none of the better defensive teams in the National League are going to rep- represent the National League in the World Series. But you know what? It wasn't Philly's, the Phillies' defense that helped them get to the World Series, that helped them win the National League pennant. It was the Phillies' fireworks offense. It was the Phillies' starting pitching. And their really impressive bullpen. And over at Houston, over at Houston, over for the Astros, again, like I said, I don't like that there's zero production coming from Altuve and the catching position, even though Christian Vasquez had a big home run, I think in game three or game four. But other than that, I mean, the catching position with Maldonado and Valdez is just a black hole. Altuve, black hole. But the Astros bullpen is better than the Phillies. And their defense, the Astros defense is light years ahead. What are you saying? What am I saying? What are you saying? I'm asking you, man. Look, I think the Phillies have the it factor. I don't know what it is, but man... The Phillies can score runs on anybody. And the Astros, they've been winning, but they haven't been exactly explosive. They've been, they've been, they've been scoring runs when they need to. That's not to say that the Astros can't do it. They just haven't done it over the past seven games. And if the Astros don't put up, put up enough runs, the fact that the Astros have an advantage in their bullpen is going to become useless because you don't bring out your best guys when you're losing in a game, whether you're losing by one run or maybe you're losing by five runs. And this Phillies offense can, can go off for seven or nine runs against the Astros, against any of their awesome starting pitching. And I think that they will at least go a few times when they're going to score seven, eight, nine runs. But that Phillies defense, man, what do you think? Everyone always says in sports, defense wins championships. This, but in baseball, it's the best of seven. It's not like football where it's like, it's the Super Bowl. You might have one bad game and it's over. In, the, in baseball, you have one bad game in the playoffs and 
you know, you come back and play it again tomorrow. <laughs> I still think that the Phillies are going to, that defense is going to literally give away a win to the Astros because that, that Phillies defense is just, bleh, it's gross. I'm going to have another drink because I'm going to get, I need some liquid courage right now. The Phillies are going to win the World Series in six games. The Astros have not been tested at all in this in this playoff run yet. They've had close games against the Seattle Mariners back in the American League Division Series, especially in Game 1. But outside of that game, the reality is the Astros haven't really been in real danger of losing a game or obviously much less a series because they're undefeated and they swept the Mariners and the New York Yankees. And the MVP of potentially the 2022 World Series champions, Philadelphia Phillies, I think it's going to be a young man by the name of their catcher, JT Realmuto. And you know what? This week's podcast is brought to you by our own MVP, our show sponsor, Skaggs Alpha Beta. At Skaggs Alpha Beta, we have trained specialists who actually go out into the fields to select our produce. Well, there's another part of the store where another group of specialists have expert training and take that same kind of time to do their job. Would you care to venture a guess as to where that would be? That's right. It's all here at our corner drugstore at Skaggs Alpha Beta. You know, it's the most complete drugstore in town. And our friendly pharmacist will be there with their professional advice to help you with all of your health needs. They may even explain all that apple a day thing. What's that all about anyways? Skaggs Alpha Beta. Cheers to Sags Alpha Beta because I think it also in aisle 17 you can pick up some of this delicious Camptoberfest and pretend that you're at some random German royal wedding from 200 years ago. <laughs> As sports fan, we enjoy watching baseball, football, soccer, football. And by the way, the World Cup is coming up next month. Are you excited? We enjoy our beers, but have you ever actually looked at your beer can or beer bottle and thought, who actually designs this stuff? This is actually pretty cool. Or maybe you don't like, maybe you like the beer, but you don't like the design. Or maybe you never even thought about it. So the next time you pick up a beer, look at it and say, who actually designed this? This is actually pretty cool. But you know what? On this podcast, you're not going to have to wonder anymore. Our next guest is a beer label graphic designer for good American local breweries. Today's special guest is Jen Bohr a beer label graphic designer and founder of Hoot Design Suite, which is a design studio based in York, Pennsylvania. Jen, welcome to HVP. Hey, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. I actually got a, a coffee in hand. I should be having a beer, but I need a little, little pick-me-up yet this afternoon. <laughs> That's quite all right. We definitely thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. When I came across your Instagram account, I, was, I really like your work you do. And on top of that, I see that you focus a lot on beer labels. And as anyone who listens to this podcast know, I always have I always drink a beer when I when I'm doing this podcast. And I love giving a platform for good local American breweries, which you do. But before we get to the where, how, what an awesome job that you've created for yourself. Where did you get your artistic inspiration, or where did you even realize like I'm pretty good at this and I like doing something out of the ordinary? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been a journey. Um, I went to school for graphic design. So I worked at ad agencies, you know, probably about 15 years. 
before uh, opening Hoot Design Studio in 2019. Um, so the craft beer industry, like the, the inspiration for how I kind of get in, got into the, the niche as an artist for beer labels, um, actually kind of coincided with the pandemic. As breweries were starting, you know, were forced to can more, tap rooms and restaurants were closed. Um, so that drove the need for more labels, more design, more, you know, artistic abilities. And I, I'd say it fell onto my lap, but it's definitely, you know, it's been a hustle. Um, so, yeah, I, I draw inspiration from all kinds of things, from other artists, um, from being at a brewery, being there, tasting the beers, sampling, of course, is, you know, always got to do your market research and <laughs> give a good sample. But uh, nature, um, all kinds of things. It, it depends on the label where I where I get the inspiration from. I love that because I I love the part of what you said you do you you have to sample what exactly you're trying to represent. I always remember this. I don't know if you watched the Showtime series Billions. In one of the episodes, I think it's in season two, the main character who's a hedge fund billionaire, he ends up buying a substantial stake in a in a company that's basically like the the, the one that made they make a lot of cupcakes and stuff. I forget their name right now. So he has get he has a bunch sent to the, his house and he tells one of his analysts he's saying. If you want to know what you buy, put it in your mouth, which is great. I mean, obviously, you're talking about yeah. cupcakes and you're talking about beer. Going on on the same line, you're saying about what inspires you, whether it's other artists, obviously having a sample of, of uh, you know, one of your clients' beers. What is that process for creativity for yourself? Is it something that everyone does it different? Do you have to stand on top of your head? Do you color your hair? Do you listen to music? Do you listen to, do you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I, I don't know. What, what, That's what's a that great creative process? Away. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, that it depends. Sometimes I'm, you know, just hanging on the couch watching Netflix, doodling in my sketch pad or, you know, on my iPad, um, researching the brewery. And it kind of always starts with like a, a brainstorming session or like a discovery call with the, the brewery or the brewer. Because um, they have, you know, so much time and passion into that the liquid that they make, you know, so they they can tell the story of where the hops came from and um, what the flavor, you know, just the story of the entire beer itself and how it was brewed and how long. And so I kind of take a lot of research on that and just start to draw in inspiration of like, okay, there's 300 pounds of pumpkin that went into the mash, you know? So it's like, I start to envision cartoon ideas of these, these pumpkins in a field and they're just carrying on and they're partying and, they throw one of their brothers on the grill and he's roasting, you know, he's kind of smooshing down on the grill. So, it, you know, it, it helps to have a beer in hand. It gets the creativity, the ideas flowing a little bit sometimes, but uh, can take a little bit. You might have to stand on your head some days to, to get something crazy going. <laughs> so you said that the what really pivoted you from working at, a, at an ad agency or other places you've worked at and then to starting your own uh, studio design studio did you already have those contacts with the local breweries, whether on the up and down the East Coast or whatever, or is that something that happened after you opened your design studio? Yeah, pretty much after. Um, I've, you know, like I said, I, I worked at the agencies and even uh, as a designer at York Wall Coverings for several several years. And I've always freelanced on the side, but the freelance clients were like retirement communities and I was doing billboards and brochures and logos and branding, which was all still great design, but I didn't get to incorporate my illustration, which was almost a side hobby for me. I've always loved to draw, but how do I make money with it? 
Um, so I had my first freelance project. It was actually an illustration for a moonshine bottle for a moonshine label. So that kind of turned the light bulb on to, wow, like these labels have really intricate custom illustrations on them from wine bottles to craft beer and being able to tell the story of the beer and the flavor that's inside with that billboard, that label that goes around it. I was like, I, I'm on to something here. So I started entering contests, different beer label contests with like breweries in the area, won a couple of them. And from there, it led to some paid jobs and one thing networking to another. Um, I've been, oh my gosh, I can't even, can't even think of how many different breweries up and down like the East Coast, even out to California. Um, I got one out in Abu Dhabi this year, a bottle. So that's, you know, it's super cool. It's going international, which is exciting. Oh, Laura, it, it, first off, doing doing a graphic design uh, label for a moon for a moonshine company. I mean, I think the FBI is now really interested in this podcast. No, I'm joking. It's uh, Jagger Hoover is no longer around. It is not the 1930s or 20s. I got, I got it here. Shack. They won't be able to see that on the podcast. I know, but, but it's called a uh, lightning shack. Yeah, by Bald Hills Distillery up in Dover, uh, Pennsylvania. Very nice. And that's really interesting that uh, you said Abu Dhabi. Yeah, yeah. A a brewery in Abu Dhabi, which I think is obviously one of the Gulf states that I I believe that it's not. It's against the law to have a drink. Yes, yes. Craft beer is, is not like it is here, you know. So it started with rum. Um, and they have a small offering of like two or three flagships at the airport to slowly like ease the the craft beer into the spirit world over there. But I, I got to do a camel, which was very exciting because they are, you know, like a they worship the camel over there. Right. So it was, it was a privilege to be able to illustrate something like that. <laughs> That's really interesting. And talking about your work, of course, back here stateside, and you were saying you, we work with breweries up and down the East Coast. I've actually had a had various drinks, had various beers from one of your clients, and I think it's one of your still continuous clients, Monument Monument City Brewing Company in Baltimore, Maryland. And I actually featured one of their, I think it was a brown ale, which was delicious on this podcast, like, I don't know, six or eight months ago. So cheers to that. And you, you, you're you still working with uh, the Monument? Yeah, yep. We've been working together a couple of years now. Um a lot of great stuff coming out. I think they just released the newsletter, so I can talk. I can talk about a couple new ones that are coming out this fall. Um, there's a cherry pie sour that I just did an illustration for. So I, I did not get to sample this one yet, but uh, I can't. I can't wait. So that one will be coming out, and a couple other ones. I'll keep them kind of hush hush. I'm not sure. You know, as far as the release, I usually wait till I see it on their Instagram till I can start talking about it. But yeah, there's there's a, a lot of nice fall flavored, you know, like winter stouts to warm you up coming out. Uh, Monument City, 1623 Union down in Baltimore. Um, trying to think what else is is local. Some stuff in New Jersey, but I guess that's, you know, a couple hours away. But Talking about all this beer, what, it, and obviously you're able to sample a lot of what your clients uh, are bringing or want you to to design their their, their bottles for. What's your, what's your personal best what's your personal favorite uh when it comes to beer styles i guess I would, probably a pilsner I, I like just a light crisp refreshing um a clear a clear one some of these these dippas and the the hazy ones are just a little too heavy for me but they're usually the fun ones that i can draw like that freaky eyed fish for just 
something crazy and wonky, but personal taste. I like a Pilsner and I've been getting into some of the sours. I never imagined myself to enjoy some of the sours as much as I don't think if it if it weren't for designing for them, I would have never like tried them because I, I would be too afraid that it might be outside of my realm. <laughs> but being able to sample them, you know, really helps like, okay, I'm I'm definitely not a dark beer stout. The the winter ones are a little heavy for me. I like that crisp summer lager or pilsner. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because I've always been anti-sour and I do like challenging myself, whether it's, you know, drinking a beer or anything else in life. I started to, when I would go to a brewery, I always sampled, you know, a few things before I actually buy a, a crowler or a four pack or a six pack. And I've noticed, no, it's, this is very recent over the past two months. I actually enjoy flavored sours, but it has to be like a fruity, which I don't like fruity alcohol, but the fruit or fruity beer but the fruity flavored sours are really good. Yeah. That's that's been my revelation. Yeah, if, if you ever get up to Gettysburg Fourscore, I did some work for Fourscore this year. Um, there's a, a t-shirt with Abraham Lincoln, but besides the point, they do a lot of really good sours. You'll have to try some of their, they had a, a Paloma out and uh, just all these, these crazy fruity flavors that, you know, it's it's like a slushy, you know, it's almost like a smoothie, some of these. So it's like, I I, I like this. <laughs> and Monument had one um, earlier in the, like the spring, summer, it was called a farmhouse ale. I think it was like a three or 4% ABV. So it was light, it was crisp, and it had like a, a sea salt lime, something to it. And it was, wow, that was, it had a nice zing to it. It felt really good. <laughs> and hopefully the listeners are able to, will be able to pick up some beer that's been designed by you and going back into the creative process of make of coming up with these different labels how is it both you as an artist but then your job is to make sure the client is happy if, if you could give us like examples of obviously without naming names but how is that creative process different with every client because a lot of us who a lot of people who consider themselves artists or creatives are like I have an inspiration. I'm going to go off and do it my own. And here it is. But in the business world, it doesn't really work that way. What, what, what have been your experiences and what do you like? How do you like working with a client best? You, you definitely, as an artist, you have to have thick skin for sure. Cause like everybody's vision, like vision of what is good art or what is creative or how something should be drawn differs. So the longer I work with a specific client, the the more we get to know each other and we establish that relationship and they understand my style, my sketchy little thumbnails, and they can see it from a pencil sketch that I did while watching Netflix of like, oh my gosh, the fish should be doing this and jumping out of the water and they get it and they can see it to the end to versus maybe a, a newer client or the first time working with a, a brewery for the first time, kind of holding their hand a little bit more and doing more elaborate sketches in that back and forth of, um, they say, hey, draw a turtle. Well, what kind of, you know, is it a sea turtle, a box turtle? Is is it a cartoon turtle? Is he realistic? Is he jumping rope? Is he, you know, what, what's he doing? So it really helps to kind of look for other examples and like develop a mood board of, you know, hey, here's different ideas I saw out there to kind of like inspire us and get the conversation talking before I spend 20 hours doing a sketch that they go, no, I was thinking a sea turtle, not a box turtle. <laughs> so it's, it comes with experience and a lot of, a lot of no's. 
um, <laughs> to kind of learn. And then, you know, you get to know the client too, of what they like, what they expect, you know, maybe blue is a color that they like to see a lot that's in their branding. And you kind of just, you get to know after a while. <laughs> and so when you're creating these mood boards, is it, is this something that you are sending them to sending it to them either through an email or some kind of team slack thing or is it you go and meet them and saying hey these are these are things that i've cut out of magazines or pasted and you work with them how, how does that go how does yeah. that creative meeting go yeah sometimes it's you know a zoom just like we're doing um if it's a client that you know hey they're out in california or they're in reno um, it could be emails because of the time difference. It's harder to sit down and we physically can't sit down and spread everything out and look at it. So I'll put together like a PDF of screenshots from, you know, maybe Instagram and Pinterest and stuff out on Google of, you know, here's these other cans and breweries that did this with a pumpkin beer and this with that, and just kind of show them what's been done that we don't want to steal the ideas. You know, we want to come up with something fresh that hasn't already been done before, um, and then just show them some color palettes and some sketches. And then a good phone call really helps start before, you know, I start in on the sketches and stuff. Do you ever play music for them when you're going through your, your mood board with them? <laughs> no, usually not. We'll drink oh. a beer sometimes. Well, you know, that, that always is a nice icebreaker, especially. No, in the <laughs> I asked that about the music because when you were talking about mood boards and meeting with clients and seeing what their, what your vision is versus what their vision is, not versus, but to incorporate everyone's vision. It reminded me of another TV show, uh, HBO Silicon Valley. I don't know if you ever watched that. It's a total spoof on a startup company. And and once they're, they're looking to get a, I think it was a modem designed and the CEO is like totally unplugged. He's like, just get me a black box. And the graphic designer was, was showed up there and he's like, look, look at these pictures. Tell me what you think. He's putting music and everything. And it was just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And of course, at the end, the CEO absolutely hated what the graphic designer said. And he's like, what is this? He's like, you wanted a black box. It's a black box. <laughs> so hopefully you don't come across things like that. But that's what I was thinking when you're talking about your mood boards and meeting with clients and you know their, their, their vision. I should try that next time. Just add a little light jazz or something in there just to kind of, you know, whatever the, the beer might be, you know, if it's fishing or kind of have some, some country music, something going on in the background that matches whatever the whale is. sleeping or whatever it is, the, the very yeah. popular sound. <laughs> Apparently you've been creative all your life and you obviously worked for it. You, you studied it, you enjoyed it in your personal life. You worked for ad agencies. Where does that jump, that very courageous jump to go from, Hey, I'm working for someone to, I want to work for myself. Like, how do you go from being an artist to then being an artist entrepreneur? That was a huge jump, a huge leap of faith for sure. Um, the agency that I was working for at the time as my freelance kept growing, um, this was actually before I was even, you know, doing a ton of beer labels. It was, like I said, um, one of my top clients was Spirit Trust Lutheran, a retirement community doing their catalogs and um, pocket folders, you know, all different kinds of pamphlets and things. But um, the freelance got to the point where it was 20, 30 hours a week. And I still had my nine to five on Monday through Friday. So I'm doing 40. I'm working every evening, every weekend. It was like something had to give. It was just too much. Um, so I went part time um, at the agency and worked three days a week, which allowed two days to get out to networking events, try to build more clients, just that in and out of being your own salesperson being your graphic, the own, you know, the graphic designer, just playing all the roles. Um, and I, I was enjoying it so much that I was like, hey, the only way to know if this is going to work is to pull the plug on that day job and 
launch myself and hope for the best that I continue to bring in clients, you know, and have that paycheck. And um, it definitely, you know, it was definitely a hustle. Um, I'd say the first year, it's not something I've done some, some speaking engagements to colleges and, and, you know, students looking to start their own business as soon as they graduate. And I'm like, Hey, this is, I'm 18 years out of college and this is not something I would have recommended to myself back then. You know, you got to have the experience and say, you know, have a savings account to take that leap because the bills are still due. Even (laughs) you're going to miss that paycheck and the health insurance. And it's, it's definitely a whole crazy world being an entrepreneur. Where, what is the, just manifesting? Like what's like a dream client that you would love to be doing uh, a graphic someone would call you up and saying hey i'm the chief marketing officer of x like what would you be like wow i've always loved would have loved to 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 work with you guys oh man that i, I don't i don't know um you know uh, of course like tro- obviously it's a beer company or a coffee yeah, company yeah. or I, a shoe I mean, company i don't know yeah <laughs> i'd love to work with clothing brands you know do i've been starting to dabble with i do a lot of t-shirt designs like for the breweries it kind of starts with the label then we might do stickers. Then if it sells really well, we'll do end up doing a screen print, a t-shirt, a hat. Um, I started getting into doing pattern designs for different clothing brands and hats and shoes. And so, yeah, I would love to, to do something for a company that I can walk into like Target and be like, hey, that's that's my pattern over there. <laughs> you know, I, I follow a ton of artists on Instagram that do work for Target and other companies like that. Um, so you never know, you know, I just keep knocking on the door like, hey, maybe I'll get to do something for Jack Daniels or um, even companies like Burt's Bee, you know, like some some cosmetic and different packaging and labels, you know, for different products like that, too. I'm a I'm big fan of Burt's Bee. Yeah, I'm trying to expand beyond. Um, I think I'll always be a optimist at heart, you know, in the craft beer industry. But uh, yeah, just looking to expand. I'm actually getting ready to do some labels for some spirits, some uh, Jamaican rum. So I'm looking to kind of grow, you know, into other labels and packaging just in the alcohol and spirits world. I love rums. And I always tell every, as much as I, I drink, I drink beer in this podcast, but I love rum. And I think rum is an underrated drink in the U.S. Because I think, it, it, obviously, you know, talk, working for, uh, for a moonshine, not working for a moonshine company, but having a moonshine client, I always say that, Rum is underrated in the U.S. because it doesn't is not seen as elevated like scotch or bourbon because everyone remembers college days when you're drinking very bad rum. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> no, and then but there are so many good rums out there. And I I'm, and I really hope that you're able to help this company grow and obviously reintroduce rum back into the to the uh, in, back into the States. Also, I think that this uh, we're having a Jamaican client that does rum entails a field trip. Yes, that's what I'm like, that needs to be in the contract somewhere. <laughs> you know, you can send me send me, a, you know, several of those bottles. I need to make sure I understand the flavor and the <laughs> all the details in that in the distillery. But that would be that would be awesome. So earlier, you shared with us some of the ways that you just either you're sitting, you're sitting on the couch and you're maybe doodling something or you have a, you, you taste some of the sample of the beer and that helps. Um, with your creative process, but outside of you being creative, how do you enjoy art? Like what makes you, what, what, what is the, what, what type of art do you enjoy? Whether it's a film, whether it's going to some botanical garden, I I don't know, like you, obviously you're an artist, you're creative, but 
what is art and how do you enjoy it? That's a great question because before, you know, when I was just, uh, I, I use the word just graphic designer, when I didn't get to draw full time, I would always draw in the evenings. Like that was my enjoyment. I would get out, you know, I love to draw in pen and ink, um, especially stippling, which is all dots. Um, but now that I do it full time, like during the day, all day long, after dinner time, and it's like, okay, well, what do I do with myself? And I've gotten into other medias like um, lino carving, doing uh, woodblock carving and in linoleum, um, which is super satisfying. It's a different medium, but it's still artistic. Like our grandparents' houses, floors? Yeah, it kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a thin little, you know, and you just take this little knife and you slowly like one little like chuck at a time. You have to check out. I have some videos of it on Instagram. It takes hours to do, but the end, then you can ink that. You have that that block and then you can make prints or t-shirts with that. It's basically a rubber stamp pretty much that you relief out. Um, but I've been working on that kind of stuff and Photography. I've always loved getting out in nature. Um, was just in West Virginia over the weekend. What visiting. camera do you use? Um, a lot of times my phone nowadays because it's it's a lot handier. But I did have a Nikon, um, the SLR. It's it's been in the it's. it's oh, the SLR one hundred one. No, that's uh, that's Minolta. Sorry, that's Minolta. It might be three hundred something like that, and it has an extended zoom and. It's great, but then I always forget to take it and I'm out hiking or doing it. So, you know, the iPhone works just as well to get, you know, I was doing some leaf peeping over the weekend in West Virginia. So I got a lot of color, you know, the color palettes too of just nature from the trees and the greenery, the ferns, the mushrooms. Then I get excited and I want to sketch stuff and draw stuff again. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So photography, some linoleum, linoleum. I'll have to look that up. I'd never... I yeah. I always just uh, tie it to you know old houses in the floor. Yeah, yeah. Look up lino cut, or some people do it, you know, out of wood. Um, but lino is a lot easier to uh, carve it, scrape it. I don't know. I don't know what the terminology is. <laughs> I won't correct you because I have absolutely no idea. But it's it's super fun. So anything artistic, I'd love to get a pottery wheel. I used to dabble with you know just clay. And I mean, anything I can get my hands on, which is another inspiration going into like a Hobby Lobby or a Michael's, an art store, and just a fresh pack of pens just inspires so much creativity to just open a brand new package of art supplies and a clean, fresh sketchbook. I'm like, I just, I want to do something with it. (laughs) So there's a lot of inspiration and just some new supplies like that. Obviously, we're we're recording this over a podcast, but uh, I, I you had said you had done some kind of speaking engagements with, uh, I guess, local colleges, local universities. I will ask you that same question I, I, again in the sense of what advice you would give to someone, uh, advice to someone wanting to open their business, but specifically if someone is in a different career path, but like, I really like art and I think graphic design is my, is my thing. Or if someone just coming out of college and saying, I want, I love graphic design, but I need to, I need a way to get in. What's your suggestions for someone wanting to pivot into the career or someone, a younger person looking to even break into the graphic design world? Yeah. Um, well, if you're, if you're not like, if you're in high school, you know, definitely take all of the the art courses, your photography's ceramics, the graphic design, art, all of all of those things to launch yourself into, you know, a, a career in college to to go to school for graphic design um, and just continue to build your portfolio on social media of, 
um, your style and just trying to find find whatever that is that is your style. Mine is kind of that pen and ink, that handcrafted black and white art um, that I, you know, color and do the monochromatic things in. But uh, just just dabble, you know, don't be afraid to constantly keep showing your work, even if it isn't a paid job, you know, if it isn't a freelance thing, because that builds your portfolio and shows people your ability and what you can do and put it on mock-ups, put it on a t-shirt, put it on a fake beer label and just, just show people like what could be um, and start networking. Um, and before you know it, you know, and I, w- I wouldn't even say that, you know, I, I've talked to universities and colleges of kids that are majoring in illustration and fine art. And I had my degree in graphic design. So I didn't even have any training or classes in illustration. So I wouldn't let that deter anyone from having a college degree. I can tell you right now, you know, the dozens of breweries that I've worked with, nobody says, let me see that piece of paper from college that you are certified. You know, nobody asks that. Nobody even knows what my credentials are. Um, There's a lot of things that, you know, you can teach yourself with Photoshop and Illustrator and um, on YouTube, you know, be self-taught and be hustle hard. I, I know that's, you know, very cliche to say, but it's it's not something that falls in your lap or is easy by any means. But once you start traction, um, there's just a world of opportunity for illustration design. You know, art is everywhere. But any potential client can also see all your credentials on whodesignsstudio.com. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Obviously, you like, you have your own company, that's amazing. And I always like to focus on local places here. Obviously, this being the podcast that I drink beers on, I always try to get every single week a beer from a different place up and down all over the US. Being able to highlight local businesses, local entrepreneurs like yourself, what is a what's what's one of your favorite or go-to places in the York area where you live to grab a coffee, to have a beer, or just a go-to food place that you're like, I always feel welcome at home here. I know the food's going to be good. What's some of your places that you like and would recommend? Oh, yeah. Uh, Belmont Bean in York, a little coffee shop, little long coffee shop. Um, I met the owners at a, a networking event here in York. Um, and their their coffee is amazing, but the joint, the atmosphere, it's just, it's so great to be able to just take my laptop, take a sketchbook, just throw it down for a couple hours and people are coming and going. You get to talk to, you know, the locals, enjoy that coffee. Um, they're on the other side of town. So I haven't been out there lately. I kind of start, you know, I'm, I'm always an, in, I'm, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. Um, with the pandemic, it kind of kept me hidden and the zoom meetings, you know, but uh, I'm starting to get back out to my local joints, my local coffee shops and Prince street cafe in York is another one. They serve food. Um, it's always, you know, a cozy, comfortable place. They usually have local art hanging, um, as well as Molly's, um, cafe in downtown York. I had some of my artwork featured there. So that was always fun to sit, sit around other artists or, you know, when you have your own show and be like, Hey, that's my, my stuff back there. <laughs> so you always feel welcome and it's always good food, good, good drinks. That's brilliant. So yeah, thank you for letting us know about Belmont. The, and that was the first one I remember that I forgot the other ones. <laughs> Prince street cafe and molly's courtyard three of my favorite coffee shops and i could i could list all the the breweries yeah of course yeah (laughs) but what i was trying to think of something outside of beer a little bit for the coffee (laughs) yeah 
we want to thank you for your time. We also want to be respectful of your time. And I really enjoy talking about beer and create and just creativity. And I think this is a, this was a really enjoyable conversation for me to be able to blend both of those, both of those passions that I have. And you can find Jen, please. You can see all her credentials, all her work, her clients and the future clients from the house of Chanel and the house of uh, <laughs> Paul Gautier at the uh, Hootsuite Design excuse me, who designs studio.com. But Jen, I'll let you uh, lead us away. And again, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sure we could, we could chat for another hour or two, you know, about beer and our, our favorite styles, but uh, yeah, check me out on Instagram. I'm, I'm usually always posting something fresh, some work in progress, some videos, some new stuff on my stories. So that's Hoot design studio, um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or right on my website at www.hootdesignstudio.com. I want to thank Jen Bohr for joining us, and I hope it inspires some creativity in your own life. I also want to thank a new listener from Hyattsville, Maryland. Thanks for listening, everyone. Subscribe to the podcast if you want on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, or Spotify. A picture of this Camptoberfest will be on Instagram and Twitter. Let's get together next week for a brand new episode of HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Happy Halloween.